Well, by now you've probably guessed who the visiting speaker is, so that's okay. Perhaps he needs no introduction. (laughs) Listen to this. As a single parent of six children, I have struggled for over a decade with physical and mental exhaustion. I think that's a bit of an understatement. (laughs) Single parent of six children. Wow. As a result of so much stress and anxiety over finances, health and my children's lives, I've developed an autoimmune disease with debilitating exhaustion and headaches and aching. After several prayer sessions, the sickness is lifting and a deep peace is being restored to my life. I have received the grace of faith and trust in God. I'm no longer worrying as much, but lifting up my life to God who carries the burden for me. Isn't that good? Here's another one. Five years of chronic exhaustion. 18 months of severe diarrhea. 18 minutes of severe diarrhea is enough for me. 18 months of severe diarrhea caused by a bacterial infection in my stomach, bones, teeth and brain. After three sessions of prayer for healing of my health, my diarrhea is 80% gone and improving daily. If you've had 18 months of severe diarrhea and it's 80% gone, that's a good report. My energy levels are rising and I'm beginning to feel well and healthy again. Praise God. Earlier in the year, another one, I had a CT scan of my brain. This showed a benign tumour. I was referred to a specialist who ordered an MRI. Prior to having this test, the team at CHR prayed for me for healing. The MRI showed no evidence of a tumour and I was given the all clear. We have a wonderful saviour. I could uh, stand here for hours and share testimony after testimony. He's even, even healing people of things that they haven't sought prayer for. Jehovah Sneaky. <laughs> He does things that we don't even ask for. But he's been drawing my attention to the fact lately that he he does things in different ways uh, all the time. I don't know that he's ever done anything the same way twice, if you understand what I mean. He does things differently all the time. And I know there are uh, models of ministry and modalities that... that, uh, we use and other, others use that are very effective and have been very effective. But he's been giving me a bit of a nudge lately about uh, not so much looking to the textbook way of doing things, but just to look to him more and more for the way forward in all of these things. And I'm not, uh, I'm not putting down those other models or modalities or any of that. I'm just saying this out of my experience and what he's giving me a nudge to do And even this week in thinking about uh, preparing for this morning, this is the the nudge I've been given. So purely out of obedience, um, I'm going to share some thoughts with you. uh, not, not, Not out of 13 years experience. I don't stand here as someone who is experienced. You know, in, in, even in healing, 13 years and all those prayer sessions, I'm not here as that person this morning. I'm here as a very ordinary person. And there's at least uh, one, two, three, four, five people here this morning who know how ordinary I am, <laughs> not looking at anybody in particular, but they know who they are. They know that their dad is just an ordinary person. There you are, I've given it away. But he has an extraordinary God 
And we count it a privilege that he's called us to establish this work and to continue in this work that's fraught with discouragement and fraught with challenges and fraught with all sorts of things. But our God is faithful and he keeps showing up. Every time we're there, he keeps showing up and he keeps doing amazing things. And he's got a sense of humor. How many know he's got a sense of humor? Because we started uh, opening on a Saturday nearly 12 months ago to give people another opportunity to come and taste and see that the Lord is good. And we opened with a bit of a, a flurry. We had one person the first week and then we had two the next week and then it seemed to grow and then it seemed to wax a little bit and then it waned and then it waxed and it waned and just lately we've been getting sort of one person on a Saturday and sometimes two and you begin to wonder whether you're using the resources effectively or not and efficiently and, and let's face it all our people are um, prayer servants we don't like to call them volunteers because volunteers wake up one morning and they say oh, I'm a bit tired so oh, there's more people on the roster I won't go in today that's a volunteer that's a hireling mentality. It's not a shepherd mentality. Sermon for another day. But they all give of their time to come and minister in the name of Jesus. So we were, Roz and I were contemplating, what should we do about Saturdays? And last Saturday, I think we had one person come. And how many know it's not all that encouraging when you open and you, you have one person show up? They're worth it, though. We're not saying they're not worth it, but could we use the resources a little more effectively? Well, yesterday we opened, we had prayer and worship. We had six people come. We, would, we, we only opened 10 till 12. Well, we were still there after 1 o'clock. And we had testimonies in and we had a, just an amazing time. So what's he saying to us in all of that? We'll watch this space for further details. So I want to share in our remaining time that flies by so quickly, just some thoughts with you under the heading of stop, look and listen. Just three points. But there's eight sub-points to each of those, so we'll see how we go. Number one, stop. Well, there's... No, there's three sub-points here. Number one, stop. Be still and know that he is God. We've said it, I think, already this morning. Sometimes we just have to stop and realign our thinking that he is God. We're not. He knows what's best for us. We don't, always and stop and wait and choose to be mindful of his power and his great care for us. He has only the best for us. And I believe when we willingly submit to his plans, that's when his best can come to the fore. You see, when the Israelites were leaving Egypt, and we read about it in Exodus 14:13, Moses' instruction, command, if you like, to the people of Israel who'd been in bondage for years... And things were getting worse. The straw was taken, but they still had to make the same number of bricks with less materials. Remember the story? And it was awful. But as they were leaving Egypt with an army pursuing them, you know, we think we've got troubles. Here's an army coming to pursue them and wipe them off the face of the planet. And Moses said, stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. Hang on, Moses, you can't be serious. We're being pursued by all these chariots and all these angry people. Where We know how angry they are. We've worked under their slavery for the last. And you're telling us to stand still? And he said, stand still. Literally stop. That's the stop part of stop, look and listen. 
and see the salvation of the Lord, which we will accomplish for you today. 2 Chronicles 20, verse 17, where Jehoshaphat and his people were again overcome or about to be overcome by all of the armies of the the people who'd formed an alliance, as we call it today, to wipe God's people off the map. And remember, he called a national day of prayer and fasting. We had one a few weeks ago. Not all the nation came, but in Jehoshaphat's time they did. And he cried out to the Lord and said, how are we going to cope? What are we going to do? And Jehaziel, the prophet, got up and said, you don't have to fight this battle. It's not yours, it's the Lord. 2 Chronicles 20, 17. You don't have to fight this battle. Position yourselves. Here it is again. Stand still. In other words, stop. Stop panicking. Stop looking at all of the bad things that are happening and realign your focus onto the one who creates and sustains life, God himself. See the salvation of the Lord. Tomorrow go go out against them, for the Lord is with you. And if you read on in that story, they took three days to go in and get the booty. Three days to plunder and bring out all the spoils. Number two, and I really struggled with this one. This is sub point B of number one. (laughs) I really struggled. A couple of times I wanted to just put uh, the metaphoric line through it and chop it out because it came this way to me. And I thought, I can't say this, but it stopped making excuses. So it's not... Stop making excuses. It's stop making excuses. In other words, there's no condemnation or even accusation coming with it. But the story came of God calling Moses. Remember when he called Moses? Well, I can't speak very well. Uh, who, who are you anyway? Well, who am I? I'm not, I'm not eloquent. Some say he had a speech impediment. I'm not good at speaking. What if, okay, let's, let's solve all that, God. What if I go up and say, let my people go, and then he doesn't, what, what am I going to do? All of these excuses, all of these excuses. And the Bible says that God's anger started to burn against Moses. I don't think that's the place that you want to be, is it? And I think the reason I, I struggled with it is because it sounds a bit directive, you know. Don't make excuses. But I think it's a word for somebody here this morning. God's calling you to do something. Maybe they're in the next service. Maybe it's not anybody here, but I'm going to put it out there. What I'm going to say to you and encourage you is if he's called you to do something, then he'll equip you and he'll provide every one of your needs. I'm one who can stand here and testify that in nearly 13 years, he's met and surpassed all of our needs, right down to the, the, the coffee machine, the fridges, the desks, the extra space, you name it, he's provided it. Exceedingly abundantly above anything that we could ask or think. Subpoint C, stop looking at what's not happening or what's not happened yet. Many's the time we've been asked to pray for people and, uh, and I'm not thinking of anybody here because we, we, don't, um, we don't always see people from here, which is good. We want to see people from all over the place. But we've been ministering other places and someone says, well, can you pray for me? I've got a frozen shoulder. I can't move my arm. So we pray for them and we say, try it now. And they say, no, it's not healed. But hang on, could you move your arm like that? Oh, no, no, but it's not healed. I can't, you know, look at what I can do with my left arm. Are you getting this? I can't do that with my right. But hang on, you couldn't move it at all. So they're looking at what's not happening instead of the, the little bit of movement that just happened. Can you see that? Did you see that? 
But see, we can miss it because we want the instant microwave God to fix our problem straight away. But sometimes, and I don't understand how he does, why he does that that way, but sometimes we see healing come progressively. Sometimes we see a lady who's had three years of chronic diarrhea 80% better thus far. Well, I say it again at the risk of repetition. If you've had chronic diarrhea and it's 80% better, you're a lot better than you were yesterday. So let's be people who stop focusing on what's not happening or what the Lord hasn't done and focus on what he is doing. Oh, hang on, I can move my arm now. Well, we bless what you're doing, Father. We say more, Lord, and we get it up to here. And then we get it up to here and we get it up to here. Are you with me? It's so easy to focus on what's not happening. There'll always be a tension that we have to live with in praying for someone and they're healed instantly and the next person with the same condition is not. Eric Johnson, who's Bill Johnson's son at Bethel in Redding, California, is profoundly deaf in both ears. And yet he prays for people who are deaf and they're healed. I don't understand that. But he's not building his theology about around what's not happening he's building it on praise the lord for that one that was healed praise the lord for that one that was healed and father i'm still going after my healing too but i'm not going to bring your word down to my experience i'm going to lift my experience up to the level of your word and keep going after it john wimber nearly gave up on praying for people to be healed because he'd prayed for 450 people or something and not one of them was healed Read it in his book, Power Healing. And he said, God, I'm not going to do this anymore. Don't ask me to pray for another sick person because you never show up when I pray. Words to that effect. And the phone rings. And it's his friend whose wife's dying of cancer. And he went and prayed for her and she was healed. And the rest is history. Focus on what is happening. The little incremental changes. Time doesn't permit me to go into it this morning, but Roz and I have had our share of disappointments in the last four or five years. Suffice it to say, we nearly lost, we've nearly lost everything. And there looked like a time where we would never be back in our own home. There's nothing wrong with renting, but when you've had your own home and you've nearly lost it, through circumstances beyond your control and through people stealing money from you and all sorts of things, it's easy to focus on what's not happening. And it's easy to have your confession, oh, Catherine, can I just tell you about me? How this happened and this happened and this happened. And the Lord said, you've got to stop. You've got to change your confession, mate. That's how he talks to me sometimes. He and I are good friends. And he chats to me just the way a friend would talk. Sometimes he's so friendly that I think that can't be God. But then he says something that it could only be God. And he reminds me that it's him who's speaking. And he said, mate, you've got to change your confession because you're focusing on what's not happening. And that's becoming your, you know, what you feed grows, what you starve dies. And I was feeding this, woe is me, woe is me. And he said, you've got to change the way you talk. So I did. Sometimes you've got to grab yourself by the bootlaces and just change the way, change your confession. And our situation turned around within 24 hours. Not of me changing my confession, but in a 24-hour period when all looked hopeless. 
all looked hopeless. It turned around in 24 hours. Now, all that's been lost hasn't been yet restored, but it's well on the way, praise God. And the blessings far outweigh the losses because we've had blessings in other ways that time and uh, probably humility don't allow me to go into. Point two, we're nearly there. We're going well. This doesn't have eight sub points. I was only joking. Number two is look. I heard it said recently you'll never find what you're not looking for. If you don't go looking for it, you'll never find it. Sounds trite, but it's really true. You know, the Bible says, seek and you'll find, ask and it'll be given to you, knock and the door will be opened. Do you know that works positively and negatively? In other words, what you seek, you find. Not looking at anybody at all, but if you think your wife is a bad housekeeper, you'll find evidence to that effect in your home. If, you're, if you think your husband is a, a klutz, you'll find evidence. Oh, there's another broken thing that's never been fixed. And that becomes your confession. We're not getting into a marriage seminar, but what you seek, you find. He wants to remind us this morning to look to him, the author and finisher of our faith, for the answers we need to the issues of life. The answers are all here in his word, the guidebook for life. The answers are all there, and Holy Spirit is more than willing to deliver the answers to us if we look to him and trust him to bring those answers. Psalm 34, 5 puts it this way. Those who look to him are radiant. Their faces are never, excuse me, covered with shame. So as we look to him, he lifts shame off. We don't have to live under shame anymore. How to get rid of shame? Just look to him. He paid a huge price so that we could be free of it. How many know David had his share of challenges and trials? Yes? However, in the midst of faith, facing death from a wicked king pursuing him and his son wanting to kill him, he was able to say, Psalm 27, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? What a wonderful confession that is. And isn't it, wouldn't it be wonderful if that was our confession? If we could say, the Lord is the strength of my life, of whom shall I be afraid? Though an army may encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. It wasn't the neighbour having a dispute with him over the height of the fence or whether we'd do the, remove the trees or your trees are hanging on my side, which some of us get a little bent out of shape about. I grew up in a home where my dad and the next door neighbour argued incessantly about this, that and the other. Life's too short, folks. Life is too short. Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war may rise up against me, in this I will be confident. Well, how could he be this confident? That's a very good question. Thanks for asking. The answers are found in the following verses. Verse 4. One thing I have desired of the Lord. That will I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord forever. He wasn't talking about pie in the sky when you die. He wasn't thinking even about heaven and that will be a wonderful place. He was talking about residing in the presence of God. 
That's how he could be confident, that he wouldn't be afraid. Though there's armies, there's wars, this one thing will I seek, to dwell in your house forever. He chose to seek God's face first before seeking his ways. So many times we want God to come with a big crane and lift us out of our circumstances and place us on a lovely exotic island with a plunge pool and drinks laid on and all of the wonderful things. Verse 8, when you said, seek my face, my heart said, your face will I seek. He was looking to the face of God, not to his hands. In other words, I'm purposefully looking to you, realigning my gaze, if you like, intentionally looking at God's face, gazing into the presence of God, not a casual glance. Point number three, listen. What was the title? Stop, look and listen. So we're up to listen already. When you look up the word listen in the scriptures, it's mentioned 110 times or more, depending on what translation you're looking at. And there's a whole lot of Hebrew and Greek and stuff we could go into. Time doesn't permit that this morning. But the word listen in the Hebrew, in the original language, really means to hear and obey. So it's not just listen, it's actually do something when you hear the Lord speak to you. And our focus, of course, at the healing rooms is on healing primarily, hence the name. But we know, don't we, that Jesus never did anything that he didn't see the Father do. And he never said anything that he didn't hear the Father saying. John 12, 49, For I have not spoken on my own authority, but the Father who sent me gave me a command, what I should say and what I should speak. If you want a reference for the other one, John 5, 19. Assuredly, I say to you, the Son of Man can do nothing of himself. He only does what he sees the Father doing. And I spoke earlier about ministry models and, and all of that. But in our remaining time, just, I want to just review quickly some of the actions of Jesus when it came to ministering the Father's love and all, of that, all that that uh, includes to the lives of those people who crossed his path, be it healing, uh, the prophetic deliverance, salvation. The man born blind in John 9, what did he do with the man born blind? He made mud out of his spittle, picked up some sand or dirt, made mud, put it on his eyes and said, go and wash in the pool of Siloam. And the man came back seeing, the Bible says. Well, there's another man born blind. His name was Bartimaeus. Jesus said, what do you want me to do for you? I sometimes think Bartimaeus maybe would have said, are you blind too? And the crowd tried to shut him up, didn't they? But the more they tried to shut him up, the more he, he screamed and yelled because he'd heard about this saviour. He'd heard about this healer. Well, what did Jesus do for Bartimaeus? He said, what do you want me to do for you? Luke 18. He then simply said, receive your sight. A centurion came to him in Matthew 8 and said, my servant is unwell. Jesus said, okay, let's go. We'll go to your place and I'll heal him. 
And the Bible says that the centurion says, you don't have to come to my place. I'm a man under authority. You just say the word, Jesus. Jesus didn't go to his place. He just said, I've never seen faith like that in all of Israel. The disciples would have been pleased with that statement, I'm sure. And the Bible records that his servant was healed from that very hour. The blind man at Bethsaida, Bethsaida or Saida, however you say it, led the man out of the town. He spat on his eyes again and he said, what do you see now? He said, I see men like trees walking. I said before that he doesn't do the same thing twice. The only common denominator there is the spittle. But one he made mud, the other one, and I don't know whether he spat on his eyes or he spat on his fingers. I don't know. It doesn't matter. The point of the story is we've got to stop, look and listen. How do you want us to minister to this person? How do you want us to encourage this person? How do you want us to counsel this person? It's very easy, and please take this in the spirit that it's given. It's very easy after 13 years of praying for people, when they come in with a bad knee or a sore shoulder or cancer, to pray a prayer of faith for that condition. But we may get it wrong. He may want us to do something different. He may want us to say something that puts us out of our comfort zone. I heard a story only uh, this week, or it might have been early the last week, of Todd White. How many have heard of Todd White? He's a, uh, well, he's a young man. Anyone younger than me is young. So he's a young man. He's got dreadlocks. He's a fiery evangelist. And he goes all over the place preaching the love of God and signs, wonders and miracles follow him. Well, he was in a meeting and uh, a girl was manifesting demons and screaming and what have you. And they were trying to cast demons out of this young girl. And I kind of think he's a guy that listens to God. And he came over and just hugged this girl. And as he hugged her, and just whispered in her ear that Father really loves you. Jesus really loves you. Whatever it was that was afflicting her just left. Now we don't have to know how many there were and what their names were or any of that sort of nonsense. Whatever it was, it left. And she was totally lost in the Father's love. So she then pulled up the sleeves on, on the outfit she was wearing and she had all these cutting marks, some fresh and some scars from self-harm. And he'd just preached a a message about the ability of Jesus to restore all things. And as he embraced her and the Father's love touched her, right before everybody's eyes, every one of those scars disappeared. And she was totally restored. So he handed her the microphone. He said, here you are, preach. And this is a brand new she hasn't probably prayed the sinner's prayer yet. Now that messes with some of us and she hasn't got the little gospel tract and she hasn't been given a Bible and she hasn't been to new Christians classes yet. And here's the man of God giving her a microphone and saying, preach. She said, I don't know what to do. He said, just tell them what Jesus has done for you. So she just started to declare, I was, this was what I was into and the love of God has just set me free and look at my arms. And she said, how many else, how many people here have suffered from the same thing 14 teenagers ran to the front and Jesus did exactly the same for them as he'd done for her yeah somebody get excited Luke 6 the man with a withered hand it was Sunday you don't heal people on it wasn't Sunday it was a Sabbath you don't heal people on the Sabbath fancy going to church and not being able to heal people sorry no you've got a bad knee 
Come back, see me on Monday. How stupid is that? They were more concerned about keeping the law than healing the sick. And Jesus calls the man out. And then he looked around, I think, with righteous indignation and said, stretch out your hand. Didn't even pray for the man, just told him to stretch out his hand and it was healed. We could share many more. We're in India sometime in the last few years. I can't remember when it was. We've been there several times. It wasn't the last trip. It was a couple before that. Say 2010, somewhere around there. So recent history. We'd visited the leper colony and, and seen the work that Grace uh, Browning had done. And they had a Thanksgiving service that night. And we went there to, to the Thanksgiving service. And because we were the visitors, we're all plonked up on the stage. And the worship started up. And here's people with, with no, no fingers, you know, lost their fingers to leprosy, standing there praising God. Abraham, I remember, I can still see his face. Abraham, no fingers from the first joint on both hands. And he's up there worshipping God with tears streaming down his face. Never forget it. And there was a, 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 if I say this, uh, I use the word deliberately, a, a beautiful young girl sitting down here on, against the wall in the building in a bright yellow frock. And we'd seen her during the day, a bright yellow, you don't say frock now, do you? <laughs> a bright yellow dress, showing my age. She had a bright, a bright yellow dress on, beautifully, you know, beautiful hair, all done up. And we'd seen her during the day, so she'd obviously put her best outfit on to come to church at night. And as the worship started up, something in her started to make her scream. I guess she had some passengers and it, she started to manifest demonically. This beautiful looking girl. Well, the local pastors went and they were screaming at her and yelling and trying to cast these things out of her, which only just made it worse because demons love a show. They love to be at the front and on show. And there was a pastor there who shall remain nameless and he got up off the stage, it wasn't me, and he walked down in amongst all of this, asked the other two pastors who were yelling and screaming to step aside and he simply placed his Bible on her head. And in about 15 seconds, if I didn't mess your hair up, 15 seconds all the screaming stopped and whatever it was in her left and she was closed and in her right mind, you know, just completely... Now, I think that pastor probably heard Holy Spirit say, go and put the sword of the Spirit on her head and deal with it. A bit unconventional because the textbooks would say well, you have to bind and loose and cut and paste and do all these things. No, no. Just take the word and put the word on. Put the sword of the Spirit that's sharper for dividing even joint and marrow. And whatever it was left her and she was restored. We had a lady on our team who's now gone to be with Jesus. but uh, And she was an elderly lady. It's not Margaret Cowan, it's another lady. But she had a, a, a grandson in Adelaide who um, I think, as from memory, and I'd stand corrected, but I think late teens or early 20s, he'd got, gone off the rails with drugs and alcohol and all sorts of loose living. And his mother, who was a, a believer was um, tearing her hair out. She was praying and fasting and there didn't seem to be any change. And this lady on our team brought this issue 
shared this issue with us and we just felt in God to send a prayer cloth, anoint a prayer cloth with oil and send a prayer cloth off to, off to Adelaide in the post. You know, the Bible says, I think it's Acts 19.12, even the handkerchiefs of Paul were laid on sick people and they were healed. So we sent this prayer cloth, we anointed it with oil, prayed over it and left the rest up to God. Australia Post, praise the Lord, delivered it. The mother took it and unbeknownst to her son, placed it under his mattress. Within two weeks, he was off the drugs, off the alcohol and he got himself a job. It's not about us, it's about stopping, looking and listening. You see, I truly believe he's able to do immeasurably more than we could ask or think. So ask him to speak to you and show you the way how to pray. Ask him to speak to you and show you the way how to encourage, how to lift one another up. Step out in faith and watch him back you all the way. I think it's time to get back to childlike faith. I'm not saying throw all the textbooks out. I'm just saying stop, look and listen and see what the Lord will do. All starts with five simple words. May I pray for you? What's the worst that they can say? No. But here it is, you go and pray for them anyway. Bible declares Abraham believed God and it was accredited to him as righteousness. He was fully persuaded that God was able to do that which he'd promised. Even though the Bible says his body was as good as dead. <laughs> Can you imagine Sarah in the, in the maternity department at Kmart or David Jones looking for a pram? Now, it sounds funny, but let's, let's bring it up to the modern day. This lady's advanced in age. Oh, I, I won't look at you. Oh, what's your name? Sarah, can I help you? Yes, I'm looking for a pram. Oh, is this for your grandson? No, it's for me. Can't you see I'm great with child? That's faith in action, folks. We've got to put ourselves in these stories. That's what they would have had to do. Now, I'm sure they didn't have the prams that we have today with all the bells and whistles and Wi-Fi and Bluetooth and goodness knows what else. But this was faith in action. The Bible says Abraham was fully persuaded that God was able to do that which he'd promised. And they set about preparing for a baby, however they did it in their day and age. So how about we become a people who are fully persuaded that God is able to do that which he's promised in his wonderful word. So stop, look and listen. Let me encourage you today. Let me encourage you today not to pray as you've always done. Not to step out and give advice and counsel as you've always done. But stop, look and listen. And be surprised possibly at the way he may lead you and guide you. He may ask you to put a Bible on somebody's head. He may ask you to Encourage someone that you don't really want to encourage, but it's in his perfect plan to see breakthrough come to that, per that person's life. Pray big prayers. Even do something a little bit out there or even weird. We had someone at the healing rooms this week who said to us, and I, my heart sort of ached. They said, oh, we'd, we don't want to presume on God. In other words, that might be too big for him. We've asked for five things. Asking for the sixth may be just a bit much. How big's your God? Now, again, there's no condemnation or judgment in that. They've obviously sat under some sort of teaching that 
that says that God's got a quota on prayers today, you know. His mercies are new every morning. Great is his faithfulness. There's, there's no limit. He's a big God. William Carey had it here somewhere. 18th slash 19th century missionary referred to as the father of modern missions. Put it this way, expect great things from God, attempt great things for God. So let's pray together. Father, we thank you this morning for what you've done. Thank you for your word. Thank you, Lord, that you're encouraging us this morning to stop, look and listen. We want to be people, Father, who follow your lead. We want to be people, Lord, who are fully persuaded that you're able to do exceedingly abundantly above everything that we could ever ask or think. So in your name, Jesus, I bless these people to leave this place and step out in faith, to stop, be still and know that you are God, to look at what you are doing and give you praise for that. And with great expectation, expect you to do even more and even more and even more. And then to listen to the still small voice that would instruct us. That still small voice that says, this is the way, walk ye in it. So I bless these folks here this morning, Lord, in this first service, to go into the world and preach the gospel. And if necessary, use some words. In the name of Jesus. Amen.